Dana. What a great day this is. We have the amazing Pam Didner with us. Yay, we're so excited. I feel like we're in the company of greatness. (laughs) I know, I know. You guys are so sweet. I owe you a drink next time when we get together. We'll take it, we'll take it. Yes, (laughs) love it, love it, love it. Preferably in London. We saw you in London, I think, right here. I don't mind yes. going back to London again. So why don't we just get together? Let's in coordinate it. Yes. Let's do yes. it. Yes, do it. <laughs> and we'll we'll probably see you in Arizona too. I would suspect. Yes. So lots I'll of opportunities for beverages. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Good. Well, let me go ahead and just do a quick intro. You know, I think. Even Dana and I were amazed. We knew you were amazing, but when we were going through your bio, we were like, holy cow, this is awesome. So um, so let me just uh, bring our audience up to speed for those that aren't familiar with all of Pam's work. So she is the founder of Relentless Pursuit. She is a B2B marketer, which is where we met her, speaker, author, and podcaster. So she's the pro of the group here. She understands the business challenges that sales and marketing folks face every day, and she's basically committed her life's work to helping them solve that. Her expertise is in strategic planning, B2B marketing, sales and marketing alignment, which we're really going to talk a lot about, content marketing, which is near and dear to our hearts, sales enablement, and we know you've got some tricks up your sleeve there and more. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I would Yes. Uh, Dana and I, when we were with you or listened to your session in London, your stuff was just so obvious when you said it, right? It was like, oh my gosh, yes, she's right. But I think that's the, you know, as marketers, we get into the groove of just moving quickly and trying to get everything done and the practicality sometimes gets left behind. So good reminders. You're an author of three books, which is amazing. Effective Sales Enablement, the Modern AI Marketer, which we definitely would like to hear more about, and Global Content Marketing. So you kind of cover the gamut of, of topics there. You've also launched a podcast and a YouTube channel, B2B Marketing and more. more. Lots more. That's right. Lots more. Yeah. So with that, welcome, Miss Pam. Thank you so, so much. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and I just read your impressive resume, but why don't you go ahead and Pam, from Pam's point of view, let our listeners know who you are and what kind of makes you tick. Yeah. So yeah, Pam Dinner here, B2B marketer. If you are listening, you cannot see me. Like I'm very boring. All right. I'm not even wear like very fancy outfit here, like a very typical top. Beautiful. B2B marketer is basically kind of boring. That's not true. Whenever I say that, all the B2B marketers are like, that is not true, but (laughs) You agree with me? But anyways, <laughs> but I got here in a kind of, I would say, twist of fate. When I started years ago, I was a CPA, certified public accountant. So I'm very good with numbers and I did a lot of operations stuff. And when I was working in the big corporation and that corporation actually encouraged people to move around. They want a lot of their employees to be well-rounded. And I love that philosophy. I don't think a lot of companies are doing that now, unfortunately, because especially in the marketing field, you need to have a specific discipline or a specialty. Otherwise, you will not get hired. But way back then, they actually encourage you to take on the job and learn the ropes and then grow with the company. Because of that, I was in accounting. I was in operation. I was on supply chain management. I was even on the manufacturing floor sorting parts 
sorting the defective parts versus the good parts. And then somehow twist the fate. And one of my managers actually moved to event operations and uh, he took me with him. So I did a lot of event operation the back end of it for a long period of time. And after that, he was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, I'm not sure. And then he was like, what about strategy? I was like, what is that? And somehow I got into the strategy part of it. It's really kind of like very accidentally. And I learned so much in terms of the operation and strategy, how they are different. I can talk a little bit about that as well, based on my own learning and journey. And then from that, I ended up doing a global marketing strategy enterprise level for at the corporate level for Intel, and then set up a guidance for a lot of our geo marketing and partner marketing teams. That's amazing. Wow. A CPA that becomes a marketer. I don't know if if that's really good or really scary. Because I have to tell you, the other thing is creative, right? For creative, aesthetic, the design concept, I have to intentionally learn. That doesn't come with me naturally. It was like, oh, that looks beautiful. I was like, what? You know, that looks the same to me. (laughs) That kind of thing. So when I started in terms of looking at creative concepts or campaign ideas, it took me a long time to get to that mode and understand what marketers or my peers were looking for. And because I did not have that set of eyes. So that was very hard in terms of creative from the very beginning. And it was intentional learning. Yeah, it makes sense though. But I think there's so much benefit of also coming from that background, right? Because I think that so many marketers have no background in the finance piece of it. And in a lot of ways, that's what we all, we all need to prove some sort of financial growth or however it is, it all needs to tie to numbers, right? And that is what most marketers lack. I 100% agree with you, Dana, in terms of having that finance background. So I am all about money and sense. So like marketers like creative, the messaging framework, and also the copy. And I love all of that. But at the end of the day, it's all about money and sense. Yeah. You know, what does that make sense? And uh, how much money we spend on this campaign? What do we get out of it? So I think having the financial background, if you will, does help tremendously in terms of trying to tell that part of story or try to quantify marketing's ROI. And that's also one thing that we want to talk about is how do we get closer to sales? Yeah. (laughs) They should be LBFF. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because otherwise we're doing this for no reason at all, right? I mean, we're not just here to make creative, fun campaigns and and events. Yeah. Ultimately, we have to justify our existence somehow, right? Yeah. So in your bio, you do lots of things. What do you enjoy most? Is it the authoring? Is it the podcasting? And how do you ensure that you can keep your favorite things at the top? You know, Dana, can I just be very, very honest about yes. that? It was like, what's your favorite thing? Honestly, I favor nothing. I was like, oh, this requires a lot of work. Can I just sit on the couch and watch my Netflix instead of doing a podcasting? You know, I am just being very honest with you. Like all this stuff I'm doing, on one hand, I do enjoy it to some extent. Don't yeah, think you yeah. But when you create something, just like Carrie and Dana, when you guys creating something for your client, there's always like the little bit of suffering you have to get through. You kind of really have to squeeze yourself out of the creative juice to create something. That part of it is, I call it suffering, right? Yeah. You have to go through that to create something, right? 
And that I don't really particularly enjoy, but at the same time, it's where you got the most creative juice out of you. Yeah. So the it's that love and relationship, you know what I'm saying? But for the long time, I actually prefer writing because writing, you can hide yourself. And when you write a blog post and somebody reacted badly, you can be like, okay, I will go back and change it. No problem. <laughs> then you can change it. But later when you started, even podcasts, you can edit it. But video is very hard to edit, right? When you upload it to YouTube channel, that is it. When you take it down, you lose your viewership. Not that I have that many viewership to start with, but I don't want to (laughs) lose that 28 views. (laughs) Anyway, so the video part of it is much harder for me in terms of like to be very natural, like in front of the monitor or screen. But Ultimately, at the end, I enjoyed that part the most. Yeah, just, interesting. Just be on the screen and say, rah, 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 like what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that, Pam, because I saw Tina Fey speak at Content Marketing World a lot of years ago, it feels like now, way before COVID. And she talked about the writing process being this love-hate thing. Like she absolutely hates writing, right? But yet this is what she does. So it's, I think the creative process is often that way. I think it's the getting started. It's that torture. It's the like, oh, I procrastinated. Oh, I could do a spreadsheet instead today. So I'm going to go do that because that's much easier. And <laughs> I come to realize one thing, any kind of writing or content creation is self-abuse. Like you love yourself yeah. so much or you're self-loathing <laughs> and to the point that you really want to abuse yourself physically and mentally, you know, it's insane. It's true. Oh it's gosh. true. Self-abuse, that's <laughs> hilarious. It is. Okay. So Pam, question for you. So the focus of this podcast is sales and marketing alignment and marketing's contribution to revenue. So this is an old topic. We know We've been talking to you about this topic for a long friggin' time, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> why, why are we still talking, about, we still talking about this? That is the question. Why? Why are we still talking about this? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons on just want to lay it all out. It's because marketing and sales professionals are very different. And like marketing tends to focus on the top of the funnel and sales focuses on the bottom of funnel. And marketing is really about, oh, spread the love. And the sales was like, I am the love. All right, focus on me. Right. So there's a little bit different on that. And then the other thing I think like the biggest difference between the sales and marketing is marketing people are taught to nurture like we are looking for a prospects, especially on the B2B side, right? We are looking about the purchasing cycle is long and we have to nurture the leads. But the salespeople, they are hunters. If they see kind of like one prospect and this prospect say, I don't have a budget. And our job was like, oh, let's nurture them. And the sales were like, you don't have budget? Too bad. I'm going to hunt another target. Yeah. So do you see the differences between the sales and marketing? Yeah. So from the very beginning that we are not coming from the same place. So because we are not coming from the same place, the way we approach the same problem is going to diverge instead of merged. So you have to be very cognizant about the differences between sales and marketing and make sure you understand what are the commonalities between the two, what are the differences between the two, 
if you are supporting the sales side of it, what can you adjust on the marketing side to make sure you align with them? So you are kind of either going in parallel, you will never 100% merge. Right. You won't. Okay. Because we have a different focuses and we also, sometimes we even talk to different segments of customers, right? We focus on buyers personas and salespeople focus on decision makers. Just from that perspective, you are not necessarily going to be 100% merge. But is it possible you can stay close together that's in parallel? Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to be very cognizant if you are supporting sales. That's why fundamentally from the get-go, we are different and we are still talking about it, unfortunately, or fortunately see that as a job security. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I often think that the really good marketers and the ones that understand this are the ones that either come up like like an SDR, you know, that moved through That's that right. or, or field marketing, right? Yeah. Where you spend a lot of time with sales yeah. and you kind of understand their DNA or Dana, for example, who's married to a sales guy. So she's got <gasps> Dana, it. She's got it. The rest of it. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. It's funny because I won't say where he works. We don't need to embarrass anyone in terms of, but like, it's a really large company. And he, I said something about his marketing support and where he's got and he said to me about ABM, he goes, ABM is stupid. He goes, tell me what it does for me. And I went, exactly. okay, well, I'm like, literally what you're saying, I'm like, hmm. He goes, is it going to bring me more sales? And he goes, isn't it what I'm already doing? And I'm like, he goes, I have a set of accounts. It's my job to grow them. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. So, I mean, you see it. So, yeah. So Dana, actually your husband asked all the right questions. The yes. question fundamentally is what have you done for me lately? Yes. That's mm-hmm. the question you need to, as a marketer, you need to yes. answer those people is what have you done for me lately? On the ABM side of things, a lot, you are right to some extent. And he's right that he's already doing a lot of account specific engagement. What ABM does just very quickly is using the marketing to complement right. sales effort, right? So that's what ABM is. It's like, for example, if they are doing certain things to for a target account, for a strategic account, but there's it's only certain things salespeople can do. But is it possible to actually have some pay media dollars? So we also talk right. about people. Or can we actually create an event? But that's kind of more on the field marketing side of things, but you can work with them very closely to actually customize a workshop or something actually for a strategic account. For my perspective, ABN, you are totally right. They already do a lot of account-specific engagements. And by all means, they should do that. The ABM is not taking over what salespeople are doing. It's more, they are doing a lot. Can we complement that and bend the probability to our favor or to their favor so the deals can be closed quickly or we can increase the conversion rate? Right. Well, and I think what's interesting, Pam, in his situation is he's at a really large company and there's a huge disconnect between what marketing does and what sales does. And he like literally doesn't even know any of his marketing people. And I was like, how do you send out emails? He goes through Microsoft. And I was like, no, I'm not listening to this. Don't tell me all your data is in your email. And so I know, right. But it's like, it is interesting is, you know, startups much more, I think, integrated. Maybe, maybe you'll tell us different. But I mean, these large companies, there's just, they really do operate in silos. 
he is in a complete different silos than the marketing team. So you brought a very good point, Dana, and I would like to address that from two different perspectives. You hit the core in the smaller company, the sales and marketing collaboration alignment is definitely tighter. That's no doubt about it because the headcount or the teams are much smaller. Like you literally turn around the corner, you run into your marketing people that you cannot avoid, right? So you talk to each other. Even in a mid-sized company, most of the time, the marketing team is still pretty small. Therefore, the sales and the marketing is still pretty tight to some extent. And what you are talking about in the much bigger global enterprises, and they have thousands of salespeople, they also have hundreds of marketing people, the conversation between them tend to be limited. However, I was in that position for a long period of time because I work in a big company. And what we usually do is that we told the salespeople, they don't have to know everybody in the marketing team because the marketing team is huge. They only have to know certain people that can actually support them or enable them. And that's the team that actually they know. And that's the only thing they need to know from my perspective, because I supported the sales for a long period of time. And I was drinking a lot. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> I am kidding. I'm kidding. No I judgment here. No tea. judgment. I drink a lot of tea. <laughs> Clarify that. Or but, uh, Yeah. The thing is, I always tell my salespeople, you don't have to know everybody. And it's not your job to know everybody. You only have to know three or four people that can actually help you. These are the people you should know. That's yeah. it. You need okay. a champion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's great. So what are you seeing, Pam, is so we talk about that we're never going to merge completely together, but we can kind of yeah. live side by side. What are some of those small changes that teams can start to make to bring us closer together? Great question. There are a couple of things from my perspective that marketer should do. And this is only a suggestion. I actually have several, but I'm just going in a limitation of time, I'm just going to say one. For example, that we all do events or we all do webinars. Many companies, they have a webinar series or they attend events, right? On the webinar series, we'll try to bring the people in and people register and they attend the webinar. And after the webinar is done, the marketer will send out a thank you note to the attendees or send out the people who registered did not attend, say, hey, there's on demand, you can check it out, blah, blah, blah. Then we call that done as a marketer. And then we move on to the next webinar topic. What you can do from my perspective to bring that your attendee data into the sales side is can you create another process? For example, you know there are a number of attendees that actually attended your webinar. On the B2B side, honestly, except HubSpot or some very popular platforms, the webinar attendees on a lot of companies tend not to be very big. That's all just be very honest. Okay, so you got even you got 300 and 400 attendees. That's not very big. That's just be very clear on that. And uh, most of the time is about 100. I would say 80% of the webinar on the B2B side, especially you on the B2B and the product tend to be complicated and you do webinar on a regular basis, it's about 100 to 200 attendees. Okay, cool. That's not a huge number. So why don't you take the number, the attendee number, you know sales is not going to do anything about it unless somebody vet it. And it's also SDR's job to add it, but sometimes they are very busy. Is it possible you can take attendees number and correlate with the CIM data? In general, they only have three probability. One is the name can be existing name from existing account, or the name can be new name from existing account. The third, it can be new names from new account. 
So now you have three segments of attendees that you know for sure, right? That's not hard to do. That is not hard to do. You can get Excel and you can correlate on the CIM database, get the Salesforce, your administrator or data analyst to actually help you out. If you don't know CIM, get somebody to help you out. It's not hard. Once you have that three segments, then if your salespeople have top 100 strategic account, so you can look at those accounts and look at the new names on your account and see if they match. If they match, bingo, that might be a new lease already vetted and you can pass to SER or sales. But if it's new names on existing account, bingo, can that be another business unit within the same account that the salespeople can talk to? So you vetted the information and then you can send a quick email and say, hey, the attendees are broken into a three segments. These are the three segments. Can somebody do something about it? And by the way, you are managing those accounts. I think you will find those names interesting. So all of a sudden, you are taking one step down to the sales level. It's answer that question. What have you done for me lately? That answer the question. I have done this for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And these are the practical insights that we love to hear from you, Pam. And this is not hard to do. It is work. That is the issue, right? A lot of time the webinar manager was like, this is not my job. And the digital marketing manager said, this is not my job. SDR was like, somebody needs to clean this up. So all of a sudden, this is like a gray area like really nobody touch. That's the fundamental problem also within the big enterprises. Right. right? Who is doing that? Is that a sale? Is that a marketing operations job? Is that SDR's job? Mm, it is not yeah. my job. My scope is doing webinar. But I would challenge you and say, if you're doing webinar, you should also do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's so logical. We heard you talk about this in London. And I remember sitting there going, Duh. Like, why are we, I mean, like that is the useful piece of the data that's coming out of these events. And to some extent, any of the tactics we're doing, right? I mean, it's not, it's stopping to just think for a moment, be strategic about the data coming in. We're so quick to just, okay, upload it, send the basic email. And like you said, off we go, I can check it off my list. Right. Yes. But at the end of the day, and what we forget about is how much that lead actually even costs, right? So in a webinar case, $100 a lead there. So if we can actually turn, it does nothing when we send the, here's the replay. You're like, thank you. I just watched it. Nice to know you. That was great. Now I'm going to put you into an always on drip and never to talk to you again, right? And that's really exactly. what we're doing as marketer. And then we're calling it nurturing. Nurturing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But at the end of the day, I have to say, though, this is the fundamental problem of a marketing today. If we do marketing right, marketing is mundane. And the old marketers are not willing to accept that fact, including myself. If I do it right, it's all about data. If I do it right in the digital world, is looking at data on a regular basis. Who wants to do that? <laughs> all the time? You're telling me. But it's necessary. It's necessary. Right. It's an interesting time right now in tech, right? We are seeing a lot of movement, people coming and going, you know. You're not very kind. People coming and going. It's, it's bloodbath. That's just yeah, it is a bloodbath right now. It's yeah. Bloodbath in tech. Yeah. yeah. Can I share one number with yeah, everyone? Please. Yeah. Please. As of today, all right, is November. Okay. So 2023, over 187 thousand tech workers will lay off. And that's a huge number. That's only this year. I'm not talking about what has happened since Q3 two years ago, because yeah. it has been going on and off, on and off 
you thought it stopped. It has not stopped. Yeah, no. That worries me. That worries me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we're seeing marketers feel a big brunt of this, right? And not a lot of patience in the opportunity for them to actually post real numbers, right? I think the the higher ups, we're seeing home marketing teams ripped out, we're seeing, and then them starting over or bringing in just one person, or it's really crazy. I don't know that we've ever seen it to the extent on the marketing side quite as bad as it's been, so. It was quite bad back in 2008, that the Great Depression of ours, but I think for that, the 2008 and 2009, 2009 was tough, but the period was short. But this time, it has been going on actually longer than I anticipated. So I don't have answer for it. And I just see the trend is a little bit different. So, and then in any company, when the marketing went through such a dramatic headcount shift, the people that end up staying, they're afraid of to do any they are afraid of doing anything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the people who are left carry the tribal knowledge with them. So it put marketing organizations in a very difficult spot. Then everybody is being incredibly conservative, right? I mean, they don't want to lose their jobs. So they end up doing status quo. By the way, nothing against that. I would do exactly the same thing if I were in that spot, honestly. Right, yeah. Right, I want to be conservative. I want to do what's minimal that what management asked me to do. I'm not sure I want to go out of that lane to experiment, to try something completely different, to be bold. So I'm just going to do something. And plus their budgets are much smaller, right? So I feel the pain for people who stay. I also feel the pain that people will let go and then have to look for new opportunity. It's just, it's not a win-win situation in any possible way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's put our optimistic glasses on and, you know, marketers that are looking for new opportunities and them getting them soon. What would your advice be for them, given what you've just described? Smaller teams, smaller budgets, risk averse, you know, culture permeating throughout the marketing departments. How can somebody rolling into a new organization make an impact in spite of what's happening? Yeah. You're talking about for people who stay, right? No, for people that get new jobs that roll into, because, you know, as you and I know, there are a lot of people looking for new gigs right now. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So if you got into a new job, my recommendation is what I call a 90 day impact. If you are seasoned, okay, if you are like a new to marketing and you are very young, you got into a new job and obviously nobody actually expect you to like, oh, you have to be a rock star. Do whatever you can be a rock star, okay? With what you have, that's for sure. But if you are a seasoned marketer with years and years experience, when they hire you, they expect you to perform. They right. do, mm-hmm. right? So you have to think about it within 90 days. What can you do to capture that low-hanging fruit and quick wins? That's what I call them, right? So maybe their demand generation has been stalled. They have not run demand generation campaigns. Well, quickly get something going, right? Or their salespeople have been starved, 
right? And then no content has been created. Well, let's get some content going for the sales team, right? So when you join the new team, you need to immediately start talking to different people and you will find out, oh my God, you know, we are suffering. I know everybody's suffering. And what are some of the part that some low hanging fruit and quick win that you can get it going to show your impact and your contribution? That's what I call a 90 day impact, right? So have a plan on that and talk to as many people as possible. Try to understand the company, right? And it's not just sticking in your cube and doing your own thing and what your management tell you to do and you do. No, go out, gather some gossip, my friends. <laughs> I helped you. <laughs> I'm oh, I kidding. I love it. I love it. That's uh, really great advice. You know, Dana and I had read a blog last week, actually, Dave Kellogg. I don't know if you know him, Pam, but he's um, a SaaS executive, past executive that he writes a lot of really great stuff. And he really talked about how to take care of the survivors in this environment, right? And so the people that are left behind, you have to take care of them. You have to take care of them. They are traumatized yeah. because they are yeah. like, yeah. you know, should I do this? Should I not do this? Yeah. Well, my right. job they are always like in that fear and you kind of want to like calm them down a little bit, but it's very hard. That's the problem. I was talking to a senior manager, it's an executive VP, and she thought layoff is done. She yeah. thought. And she communicated that to all her team. She's a, also GM. And then the next quarter, they were not on target. They have to let more people go. And then the quarter after, they were not on target either. She has to let more people go. I mean, even though you try to take care of survivors, but you also don't know yeah. what your projected right. revenue will be for the next two quarters. So she thought she was done. And then she has to eat her own words. But there's no choice. So... I understand that taking care of survivor, but at the same time, this is also the business that needs to run. So now a lot of executives are not willing to say much what is going to happen for the next two or three quarters. Yeah. Well, because I think none of us know, right? I mean, this has been, I would say even for Carrie and I, since we've been in business so five years for us, this was the first time we went into planning and we like ran a lot of scenarios, right? Because you just don't know. We're like, okay, so if this is what Q1 looks like, then we're going to postpone hiring on these roles and all of this stuff. And it was a lot harder mentally to think through it. Usually by now we have a pretty good sense of what at least Q1, if not the first half looks like. So I totally agree. I usually use Q4 to do the next year's planning. Like for example, I in Q4, I will have planned 2024 kind of layout. This year I was like, hmm, let me just take a break. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, unknown, unknown. Oh, it's like, just don't know. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's quick pivot. I think we have a few minutes left. So the other big topic right now, of course, is AI and marketing. And you have written a book on this. So we'd love just to get a few minutes of your perspective, because there's a lot of fear around this too right now, I think, about how it's going to impact jobs and roles. And we see this as a real benefit, right, of how it can create efficiencies in your jobs and how marketers can embrace it. But we'd love to just hear your perspective on this a little bit. All right. So first of all, I wrote that book in 2019, before COVID and before ChatGPT. But when I wrote it, I was specifically looking into the usage scenario of AI, like in various different marketing activities from sales enablement, demand generation, content creation, even hyper-targeting. 
So I mean, the process want to revise that because nowadays, even though the framework itself still valid, but there's not a lot of tools and also like a prompting, how to do a prompt correct. And all that stuff needs to fit into that book specifically. So don't buy the book. Okay. (laughs) Wait for the revision. (laughs) Like, have you ever ran into an author that come to your podcast and say, don't buy the book? (laughs) Whatever. um, Anyway, set that aside. And yes, I think the inception of a chat GPT has a massive impact pretty much on everything marketing related. It's very much like Google. When a search engine launched back in 1994 and all the computers are connected, everybody's contributing content and people start doing search. Search is almost like the prompts, like what we are doing now. So search has a massive impact on marketers as well. So this is kind of like the next generation of it, if you will. The thing about ChatGPT is you literally can write any question to ChatGPT and that there is a way to answer it. It's not like Alexa or it's not like, hey, Google, you know, you are like, okay, wake me up at 10 o'clock or what's the best restaurant near me? Is you can ask a whole lot more sophisticated question and they can give you an answer. But bear in mind, bear in mind that any questions they you ask, they are pulling AI is not us. AI pulling the sources from internet. So the way you ask question, okay, if you ask general questions, they're going to give you a general answer. If you are very specific, they will give you a very specific answer. But at the end of the day, it's still sources that pull from internet. They are not going to tell you how you are going to do your campaigns differently. You are. So you can ask questions. They can give you answer. But you need to have a point of view, everyone. This is very important. You can enter all the information about your company and say, how can I run the campaign for this specific company with target audience, business objective, whatever, blah, 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 blah. They're going to give you an answer. But what is your answer? Yeah, right. You can use AI's recommendation to validate your point of view, but you need to have a point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So like AI is not going to know my business the way I know my business. AI is not going to know B2B marketers the way I know my B2B marketers. Well, you can enter all the information. You can ask AI for anything. They will give you an answer. I would not take that blindly. That's my recommendation. Yeah, yeah, right? I love but it. There's a lot of things like ChatGPT because they can, they can take in a lot of information. They can analyze the information. So that kind of algorithm will be embedded into many, many tools we are using right now. Right? If you are using kind of social media platforms, I mean, honestly, if they embedded ChatGPT as their backend, they will even write a copy for you. Perfect. Right. They will even generate images for you if you prompt them correctly. They will do a lot of stuff for you. Ultimately, you need to have a point of view that's uniquely yours and your business. So that is something cannot be taken by any way, any AI. That goes back to the importance of your unique value proposition and messaging and all of those things. It's like back to the basics here, right? Exactly. Always, always come back to the basic. The way I see it is always look at inward. Like, who are you and what does your brand stand for? Look inward, not look outward for answer. 
It took me a long time for myself to understand that. I always like, oh my god, SEO, let's go check. What do I need to do? Oh my god, <laughs> you know, there's AI. Let's check. Okay, I probably should use Writer.ai to help me. Oh my god, I need to do that too. Chat, chatbot. But at the end of the day, I need to come down and look inward. Do I really need chatbot with my traffic this little? Do I really need Writer.ai for the time being? I have so many point of view about marketing, so it's something that I have to look inward to determine what part of tool that should help me. And I encourage everybody to do the same. Yeah, it's good advice. It. It's good advice. So Dana and I have a couple of quick questions for you as we wrap up, Pam, just to get to know you even a little bit better. What cool projects do you have in the hopper? What's keeping you up at night and getting you excited? So I was working with a company and this company is very together. Most of the time I'm working with a company, we are working with a company that they need a lot of help, but this company is very together and they brought the marketing side to the sales for four or five years and they can track every single dollar marketing spent down to the sales funnel, down to the deal close, every single penny. I have never worked for a company like that. When I walk in and they show me all that, I was like, why are we talking? See ya. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why, why am I here? <laughs> but they were like, Pam, what we really want to do is we want to train our AI to start not just creating the content for us, but also categorize and mapping the content to sales journey and also to a customer journey. I was like, ooh, that sounds very sexy. <laughs> so that's something that we are working on. I was like, I did not tell them. I was like, that sounds great. We should definitely figure that out. And I didn't yeah. remember I was Swear to God, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) Fake it till you make it, we say. (laughs) Exactly. Now they are going to listen to this and they're going to fire me. I don't know. We have a good relationship. We have a good relationship. It's all good. I love that. That is exciting. That's really exciting. That was very exciting, yes. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, one last question because we have to end with something fun. What is everybody streaming right now? What are we streaming? What are we watching? When you're not writing and you're procrastinating, Pam, and you're <laughs> like sitting in front of the TV, what are you watching? All the time. So I recently finished, I'm a big chicken. First, I just wanted to make sure everybody understands. I'm a big chicken. I don't watch any horror films, right? Oh, me, me, because me, I will me, have yeah. nightmares. I will have nightmares. I'm a big chicken. I was like, is that Friday 13th? No, pass. You know, this and that, the silence of lamb, pass. You know, that kind of things. So I watch a series called The Fall of the House of Usher. Oh my God, my husband's watching it. I it it's was a good. short story. It's a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, who actually wrote the famous poem, uh, Raven. Because I was like, oh my God, it's all about Edgar Allan Poe. I need to watch that movie. And I watched it. I was like, oh my God, this is like a Friday the 13th plus successions plus, <laughs> you know, like the family dramas yeah. and all at once. And I did not like it that much, but I ended up finished the whole series. And once I finished the series, I went back and about a book from the short story collection from, from Poe and start reading that short story. And they only take the bits and pieces, the essence of the story into the TV series. And I have to tell you that story was written like 1887 or something. Wow. And I was like, my God, my English was so bad. And I read five pages. I was like, I really don't understand what <laughs> he's trying to say. <laughs> And I was 
was like continuously like looking at the and the dual Google things. I was like, what does this word even mean? <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, I'm incompetent. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. It's it's oh. funny you say that, Pam, because it's my husband was watching it last night, and I was doing stuff on my phone, so it's on, and so I'm sort of watching it sideline to it, but I can't watch the other stuff either. So the gory stuff happens, and I'm like closing my eyes. I'm like, tell me when it's over. I can't listen to this piece of it. So it's literally, I can tell you, this is like a story of Friday the Thirteenth plus Successions from yeah. HBO Max yeah. plus Pharmacist. Do you know like there's a show called Pharmacist, which is yes. like uncovered. So you guys watch that documentary. It's basically everything together into one. That's yeah. the fall of the House of Usher and yes. the, the TV series. It was actually not bad. And they did a lot of references back to Poe's short stories and also the Annabelle lead, a lot of poetry. And I love, I was like, oh my God, I got that reference. But then I went back to try to read that short story. I swear to God, cannot read it. I was, I told my husband, I was like, you know what? I just come to realize I'm a very incompetent. My English is bad. And the tons of words I just don't understand. It's like, I managed to finish that book. And I was like, before, you were like, you want to, you watch the movie, you read a book and you kind of like, oh, I can see it. And this is like, watch the TV series, read a book. And I was like, you know what? I'm stupid. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, no. I love it. I'm going to put that on my list. That sounds, Carrie, you uh, probably like it. Mm-hmm. It's like in there, but yeah, I'm, um, Especially you guys, that, honestly, yeah. I, I think, yeah, you might enjoy it. You might enjoy it. Just, just tune out like this horror stuff. Just tune yeah. it out. Okay. Is it one of those that you have to, cause I sometimes like the ones that are kind of playing in the background and I can still do other things. No, is this, this one is that you really no, have to, you have to pay on? attention? Yeah. Like succession. I feel like you have to pay attention. Oh yeah. 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 Pay attention. yeah. So if you like succession, this is we took that background, that rich family, you know, that kind of background and premise. And it's part of the story. So actually you know what, Carrie? Watch it and let me know what you say. Okay, I'll report back. I'll report back. And it's back. a limited oh, yeah. series, Carrie. It's just okay. like yeah. Yeah. eight episodes. Yeah. yeah, and it's done. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Love it. Love oh, it. I think we're out of time. Oh, well, Pam, thank you so much for coming. We could talk for another couple yeah. hours, I'm sure. Thank you for so joining us today. why don't you uh, plug your podcast? Yes. Where can our listeners go okay. to listen to you, hear more? Yeah, so B2B Marketing and More is actually on YouTube channel and also on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you actually like to stream. And I also, like I said, I have a YouTube channel and I'm really a YouTube celebrity, okay? With like a 900 <laughs> followers, who cares, honestly? But my stuff tend to be pretty dry. I hate saying this, like I focus on how to on my YouTube channel. So kind of have to look into the title. And then if you are working on something like marketing plan, I'm very specific on how to, what you can do. Messaging framework, how to, what you can do. Sales enablement, how to, what you can do. Because it's focused on how to and people will watch it and then drop off because they don't need it at that time. But when yeah. they need it, they come back. So that's super valuable channel I have. And you can always reach out to me, connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter. And guess what? I launched my TikTok channel. <laughs> <gasps> yes! Oh, I love it. I love I'm going to find you on TikTok. Okay. I'm going to find you on TikTok. I'm going to dance routine down. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't have that. I'm, I'm just, I'm no talking dancing. about. No dancing. I saw. Not yet. You know, like, dancing Not yet. Like, no, no. People look dancing at me. Dancing gets dance. followers. No, no. Dancing and falling. No, no, no. When people look at the way I dance, they de-follow. They were like, oh my God, this is horrible. Don't do that, man. You're horrifying the whole generation of you. Anyway. So I love it. No, I talk about the books I read and I talk about some other stuff. But yeah, if you guys are interested, check out the TikTok. Absolutely. Okay. Love Absolutely. It. Amazing. As always, yes. Pam, so fabulous to connect with you. We will see you on the road for sure. Sounds yes. great. And looking great. forward to ha- having a glass of wine or a cup not of tea bad, with you, whatever bad. we feel like. <laughs> great. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. All Bye, right. everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. And that's as real as it's getting with this episode. Thanks for joining our hosts, Dana Harder and Carrie Baldwin with Unreal Digital Group in this podcast, Marketing Gets Real, where we talk to savvy leaders who seek change, adapt to it and leverage it as an opportunity. If you're loving these oh shit, tell it how it is conversations, then please subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time.